This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me. As always, across the way is Mr. Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, welcome Big, big day in the NFL, the busiest NFL trade deadline day I could ever remember. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. I mean, this this busy trade deadline day precedes a really busy offseason where a bunch of players and quarterbacks and, and just player movement, you know, has been in this last calendar year. It, it just it almost signals like a different NFL, um, one that I can incredibly get behind because um, this is extremely exciting. And, you know, with so many teams in it this year, it's, it's almost a little bit surprising how many players got moved. It, you, some teams kind of traded away big pieces, but then pulled, you know, but then also traded for big pieces too. So it's really just a shuffling of, you know, who they think they'll sign and, um, you know, and, and, you know, some teams maybe like Detroit are given up a little bit, but, for the vast majority of, of teams, they're, they're reloading and it's, and it's great. The season of parody, um, the season of player movement, like this is a very exciting NFL year. Yeah. And if you're looking for the typical in season, you know, NFL draft recap show where we do the, the NFL draft stock report, the Debbie slant, the NFL rookie report and the dynasty stock report, we're, we're going to put the pause on that for just this one week, you know, due to Halloween being Monday night and just family obligations. We didn't get a chance to record Sunday or Monday night. So we were planning on recording Tuesday not anticipating the wave of flurry of trades that transpired in the NFL. So we decided to kind of put the college game on a little bit of a pause for one week. It will resume next week back with the typical in-season shows. And it'll be a lot to talk about after two weeks of processing, you know, what happened in the college football landscape and the NFL draft. But there was just so many big trades, so many offensive skill players on the move that we thought it'd be a great time to kind of do an NFL draft trade recap dynasty perspective show. And that's what we're going to kind of do today. Go through these big trades that have happened since we've last been on air, uh, which started last week, a couple days after we recorded with the Kadarius Tony trade and then a flurry of trades, you know, within the last 24 hours of us recording this episode. So, Jeff, let's jump right into it. Uh, I alluded to it. I think it was last Thursday. The Kansas City, tree, uh, Kansas City Chiefs trade a 2023 third-round compensatory pick and a 2023 sixth-round pick to the Giants for Kadarius Tony. Obviously, anybody who has been a longtime listener of Saturday to Sunday knows that that was going to get my emotions kind of going a little bit. And, you know, you know, if they've been following me on Twitter, I kind of made my stance very public that I don't really agree with the decision for the Giants. I know there's obviously a lot of behind the scenes stuff and, and frustrations. And maybe, you know, you made great arguments when we had discussions, you know, on Twitter that maybe it was never going to work out here. And maybe that was that was just where this was headed. It was never going to work out there. But at the same time, with the Giants receiver core, where it is, I mean, if they're losing this week, you just see how depleted they are. And, you know, the everything bounced the right way for them to get to that 6-1 and one record. They made some clutch plays, but a lot of things bounced their way. And, and then you see this week that they, you know, 13 points, seven of them was off a turnover that they got the ball at the one-yard line. You know, they just don't have anything. So, like, the fact that Kadarius Tony now seems like he's healthy, 
you know, he's he's gonna he's gonna play probably this week for Kansas City. Joe Shane had a uh, a press conference today and said that right before he traded Kadarius Tony, Tony was gonna suit up and practice last Thursday. Whether that meant he was gonna play in the game last week, I have no idea. But but it sounds like he was gonna return to practice if this trade didn't materialize. So I don't know if he was gonna play. I don't know if they were gonna hold him out. We'll never know the full story. But anyone who knows me knows how much I believed in the talent of Kadarius Tony. The glimpses of it last year that we saw were very promising. And I think for his perspective, now paired with Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, his stock's got to be up on this. Uh, if he can get his head on straight and they can keep him healthy and engaged, I think now the sky is even high, the limited, the ceiling is even higher in Kansas City than it was going to be in New York in the glimpses that we saw last year. Before we talk about who else it impacts, Jeff, thoughts on Kadarius, Tony, the move ending up in Kansas City, his his value right now in Dynasty, still neutral, still who knows because of of, of his being MIA for so long, or is it a, a stock up in your opinion? Yeah, well, let me take it even from – you know, again, a, just a different perspective for the Giants. Let's even say off the field stuff. Let, let's say maybe there wasn't as much friction as everybody is reading from the outside. You know, this is still a player. Well, yes, he flashed talent, has, I think, at least a dozen injuries that have kept him off an NFL field now. Like, I mean, at some point, you know, like <laughs> um, you're at least going to get a return for somebody who hasn't been able to see the field. Um, and, and that's going to be a concern no matter what with Kadarius Tony, I it's speculating for me to say that, you know, Tony's using these injuries to kind of dog practice, but you know, there's players that I think the saying goes like, you know, after week one, nobody is a hundred percent, you know, nobody's healthy in the NFL. And it's really just which players are, you know, know how to, you know, regiment their schedules, their routines and, and play through it. Um, I just, you know, and then on, on top of that, you know, and, and you could go back on our discussions on Twitter, but I just don't see how with his usage the first week or two with the, the off season, you, we can call it missteps from the giants part where they, you know, had the trade rumors even before they, you know, met Tony face to face, but just, you, you put all of that together and, and maybe Tony's going to be a superstar. But again, I just, you know, there's there's times where it's just not going to work between. It's a relationship. It was a bad relationship between two people. That doesn't mean that the Giants are in a good front office. And that doesn't mean Tony's, you know, a bad player. And, you know, they might both find success in a better relationship somewhere else apart. Right. Like too toxic together is best for both parties to split up. And I think that's what we're going to see here. Um, I don't think we were going to see Tony. After after half a year, um, n- not doing anything, I just don't think we were going to see it in New York. My my hopes were were waning um, for New York. They get to move on. They get they get the hand picked Wandale Robinson to take over, and Tony gets to go in and look. Kansas City doesn't have some phenomenal depth chart. That's it, everybody there is solid, right? They've got a lot of players playing the right roles and, you know, a point guard in Patrick Mahomes that's, you know, part point guard, part part Steph Curry, right? Like he, he's going to make his Patrick Mahomes play, but he doesn't need Tyree Kill anymore, right? He's, it's, this isn't this, you know, 
narrow target funnel offense. And that's going to be really interesting to see how Tony plays into that. I don't, at least for this year, I'm not expecting it to, to turn into anything else. It is going to be every player has his role and every player does something specifically well for that offense. And, you know, maybe Tony's a little bit Miko Hardman, a little bit what they were hoping Sky Moore would be as a rookie. Um, you know, like you'll still have MVS kind of stretch the field. You'll still have Juju underneath. You'll still have Kelsey. And, you know, Tony will kind of see a little bit of like, the, the glimpses that we saw with, uh, you know, with his his rookie year and a little bit even just as he started to integrate into the the dayball offense with end arounds and and just sort of manufactured looks. So that's probably what we'll see to start with manufactured looks, right? That's that's not a complicated realm of the playbook um, to pick up, and so they'll they'll start there and they'll they'll build build it up. I don't think we're going to see some explosion game from Tony. I think this is this is starting over from square one. Like this is it just take it like it's Tony's rookie year. We we've seen him do it on the NFL field, but he's got to work his way back up the depth chart, right? You know, that clearly Kansas City believes in him, but they have players playing well, right? Juju is playing well. Nicole had three touchdowns the other weekend. Like they're they're all doing exactly what they need to do for Kansas City to be a very effective offense. And Tony's going to have to push his way onto the field and, and into touches. And I think we'll get there because the talent is there, but only if he stays on the field, only if he's applying himself. Yeah, I think, I think you make great points there, and I think you're right. I think he probably will be used in that creative way early on and, and see if his role grows as, you know, as we get closer to the playoff football because he's going to do a lot of that manufactured touches. Andy Reid's very creative, and it's part of the reason why I think many Giants fans are frustrated because we we have two creative guys, right? Mike Kafka from Kansas City, Brian Dable, who came from Buffalo, who has you know utilized Isaiah McKenzie to his fullest and, and gotten the most out of his players. I think we all wanted to see that, and we don't. We'll never really know what happened. Was it that he felt disrespected about the trade rumors? Was it that he felt disrespected that other people were? We're playing above him. The Giants were trying to make him earn it. I, I don't know. We'll never really know a true story, but I think the Giants could have gotten out of him in terms of on the football field. But obviously there was other stuff that that we're never going to be privy to. And I get it. I'm on the perspective and, and people are on the other opposite end. And a lot of people are in the middle. I, I, I like the whole culture blah, stuff. I also think it only takes you so far. Like, I think you need talent to win in the NFL. I think that the concept of buying in is great. David Sills can buy in. Marcus Johnson can buy in. Richie James can buy in. But they got no talent. And, 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 and that has been – it's part of the reason why the Giants have had these close games and they've been lucky to pull off a lot of them, unlucky this past weekend. I, I think buying in and then fitting only goes so far in the NFL. I think you have to be willing to – have some guys who maybe don't buy in if they're so uber talented that they could do a lot of stuff. Maybe the Giants don't think that's ever going to be Kadarius Tony. Maybe that's really what this comes down to, or they just never think he's going to play through injury and and they don't want to rely on him. Kansas City's willing to take the shot. Some whispers have came out that Kansas City had, was really high on him that year, that they were thinking about taking him at the end of round one. Maybe that's true. And now they see as getting him basically, like you said, this is almost like you could almost think of it as starting at square one rookie year. And they got him instead of 
using their first round pick that year. They got him for a third and a sixth, you know, a couple years later. So maybe that's how Kansas City's looking at it. I think for dynasty value of other players, I, I, I don't think I didn't think Nicole Hardman was probably going to be there, you know, long term, even even though he's had glimpses here or there. I don't think it really dramatically impacts Sky more because there's, there's going to be more than wide receiver that is probably valuable in that Kansas City offense. And as Travis Kelsey slows down, who's to say eventually it can't be there is Tony and Sky more. So I don't think it I think it may be hinders him being relevant at all for fantasy this year, Sky Moore, because now I think they I think they'll have a plan for Kadarius Tony, because I think they're gonna be smart enough to realize if they just bury him on the bench behind, you know, four other guys, that's not gonna build a relationship that they need to try to get the best out of this player. So I think for this year it kind of buries Sky Moore a little bit, but I don't think long term it dramatically alters it. There might even be a buy window at some point for Sky Moore of people who are very frustrated that he might not do anything this year. So I wasn't the biggest Sky Moore fan. I thought people were overvaluing him a little bit in rookie drafts last year, but I do think we're going to get to a point where he could now be a buy at some point, uh, you know, for year two and beyond because people are frustrated that maybe the lack of impact he ha- he's going to have, I think, in this year one. You see it differently with Sky Jeff, or or would you be someone who's still willing to buy low if his value? you know, continues to kind of fall a little bit this year and then maybe buy for year two? Or do you think this could really be, you know, have long-term effects on Sky Moore there? I, I already think there were going to be some long-term effects for Sky Moore. Um, and I think part of that is is not, like I said, you know, Kadarius Tony's got to work his way into the, onto the field and, and into targets. And, you know, it was the same thing for Sky Moore. And, you know, everybody's got a role. Everybody's playing well, but nobody's no nobody on that 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 wide receiver roster is insurmountable right you know every one of those guys are replaceable at some level and so if you're a really good talent you're going to find your way onto that field and i'd be i'd be worried if Kadarius tony didn't and I'll, I'll be worried if if sky Moore doesn't and and so far he hasn't and you know at least when you see guys year over year over year contributing right away even marginally like even in a in a way that like wandale is or pickens is or or dotson is right like that's at least something encouraging um where you're given some flashes even even christian watson is at least doing more than what sky Moore is doing and you know when when you can't i don't one of one of my sort of indications for you know a player finding future success in the league um maybe to the tune of you know you know being a starting its way onto your fantasy rosters in in a meaningful way is getting like 60 targets that first year and i just i think that ship has sailed with sky more and i don't i think with the tony trade it's probably better to just hold and see what you've got because i don't know anybody's going to give you enough to re-roll the dice and see what you have next year. Um, though, if you get an opportunity to do that, I, I would rather be wrong on Sky Moore because I don't think there was anything... It, it, he was a good player. He's a good pro prospect, I think. But it wasn't somebody that I couldn't miss on, like I had to get. And I'll be okay being wrong on Sky Moore being becoming a good player like I, I would rather just 
try to, you know, cash in and and take another swing if if I could. Yeah, listen, I think that's fine, and and I'm right there with you. I I was the people who had him like clearly over Jahan Dotson. I you know you know me. I was I was pushing back hard on that. You know, I thought you know he was being overdrafted a little bit. I think I'm more in the impression that if his value starts to fall in that where he's, he could be had for like a late second round rookie pick by the time the next rookie draft rolls around. I don't, I, I'm not a fan. We've, we've talked about it. This wide receiver class coming out is not one that really gets the juices flowing besides some intriguing slot guys, right? A lot of question marks. So I think I'm saying if his value falls, I'd be okay. Even though I didn't love where he was going last year, if you tell me now his value is a full round or a round and a half later, and you can, he could be had for a late second round rookie pick if somebody's frustrated with what he did rookie year, I, I think I'm w- more willing to be interested in taking that stab there with with minimal risk than than where he was going and where people were kind of penciling him in, thinking he was going to be like this go-to player in Kansas City pretty quickly. So it'll be interesting to kind of see, you know, like you said, both these guys, I mean, they're not going to just throw Nicole Hardman to the curb after three touchdowns, and he, he has a certain role. MVS has a certain role. Juju has a certain role, and the offense still revolves around Travis Kelsey. So Kadarius Tony, you know, uh, Sky Moore, like like you said, they're going to have to find ways to integrate those guys. I think it'll be more Tony this year than Sky Moore, but I don't think Juju will be back next year, and I don't think Michael Hardman will be there. So it's not impossible to see a scenario where it's MVS, you know, Sky Moore, Tony, and, and maybe they add somebody else in the offseason, and that's who they go to bat with next year. So we'll, it'll be interesting to kind of follow that. Uh, there was a lot of layers to get in there, so we won't go as long on, on some of the other ones here. But Tony, the, the, my perspective as the Giants fan, the impact it had, uh, a lot to, to kind of digest with that first trade. And that wasn't even a part of the, the last 12 hours where, where everything kind of went wild. So let's go to the second one I want to talk, up, talk about. And to me, this is the one that made the least amount of sense. Like I have so many le- questions that maybe we can unpack together. Uh, Pittsburgh trades Chase Claypool to Chicago for their own second round pick, not the second round pick they received from Baltimore in the trade that they had did. I think it was over the weekend when they got Roquan Smith, uh, you know, when, when they sent out Roquan Smith uh, for Baltimore second round pick. I assume when I first heard the trade that they were sending Baltimore second round pick to Pittsburgh late second round. I still wouldn't have loved it, but I could I could kind of at least make sense of it. But it's their own pick. So when you really stop and think about it, Chase Claypool was the 49th pick in his draft class three years ago. He just got traded two and a half years later, and that pick is going to be higher value than the pick he was taken with for two and a half years ago. That to me is where it's just staggering because we're talking about a guy that showed some glimpses his rookie year, 62 catches, you know, 873 yards, nine touchdowns. But since then, last year was a pedestrian 59 catch, 860 yard season with two touchdowns. And then this year, 32 catches, 311 yards. And he's clearly the third best wide receiver on Pittsburgh. For, for, I get what Chicago wants to try to do. They needed to add a wide receiver. They have Darnell Mooney. But man, you just traded off Quinn and Roquan Smith to aid in the rebuild. And then you go turn around. As much as I don't like this wide receiver class that's coming out, 
I find that by the time we get to that draft cycle, there's going to be guys at the top of the second round where the Bears will be picking. This pick's going to be in the 35 to 40 range. And where we're headed is I think there's going to be plenty of wide receivers in that range that I like more and have more upside than Chase Claypool. So I'm having a very hard time to kind of understand the Bears collecting picks, but then wait, then but then using such a premium pick on a guy who's finishing up his third year. He's only got one year left on their contract. And then if you're going to keep him, you're going to end up paying him big money. We see the market for wide receivers. And you could have got somebody and, and started the cycle on a four-year, second-day you know, type rookie contract. I don't see this. I think it's a terrible decision for the Bears. I think Chase Claypool's dynasty value obviously goes up. He's going to be a much more integrated part of the offense, probably the focal point. Maybe, you know, you could even say that they look at him and maybe they think he could be a true number one. So I think the value clearly is up for Chase Claypool in terms of dynasty, but I have a hard time making sense of this deal, Jeff. You usually are the, the more calming voice of reason. Make some sense of this for me to try to help better understand this. Yeah. So they drafted Valus Jones at um, the third round, pick 71. We're just talking about how Sky Moore isn't necessarily coming in and helping right away, right? Maybe he even will be good, but picks bust all the time. Like, I think, you know, what did I, I asked you the other day about Wandale, right? Like, we're really excited about Wandale and you're like, you know, what's his, what's his upside scenario? I was looking to, I was afraid to trade him away and, um, you know, you're like, Hey, maybe Hunter Renfro. Right. And like, eventually you get a season like you did last year where, you know, you're, you're that integral to the offense, but you know, you're, you're a weapon, you're a piece. Wandale got picked at pick 44, right? Like we know Claypool is this 800 yard guy, right? Like, like that's what he's been giving us. You know, he's, he's a touchdown threat. He's a big play athlete. He's got upside, right? Like he, he, he still has ceiling for growth. I don't think it's his entire career is written in stone right now and you know they have another cost controlled year but i actually don't even think this is about you know 2023 i mean certainly was to you know to get getting rid of Rokon smith like they just knew they weren't weren't signing him for 20 million a year and and honestly i think that's a fine decision i thought they did made a good savvy deal Ravens going in for it too wasn't bad, but I thought they made a savvy deal. But I, you know, I do think a second round pick was questionable from an investment cost. But let's just say this is an investment in Justin Fields. Look who's been playing better this last month, Justin Fields. Look what they're doing with their offense. You know, they're they're making it more dynamic. They're getting Justin Fields out on rollouts. They're they're running the ball more with him. Like, if this is an investment in the growth of Justin Fields, I'm all in, right? Like, like that's what would you what would you spend to give your quarterback a reliable reliable weapon on third down, right? Or, you know, I think um, I think he fits a big slot kind of role really well, right? Like, if they wanted to use him that way, or even if they just kind of wanted to use him as a down the field weapon. I, I like the fit in general. I, again, my only, my only take, and I agree with you this, you know, with this is I think the draft compensation is pretty high for a player like Chase Claypool. And, you know, if it is about Justin Fields, 
why not go after Brandon Cooks or why not go after Elijah Moore, right? I, I don't know what his cost would have been, but, you know, it just, I, you know, there might've been other potential players and targets, um, you know, that you could have done better with, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll go into the next trade too, just cause. Yeah. Know, well, I just want to jump in one second. Like, I think you're right though. Like, right. I'm all for them investing in getting Justin Fields better. It just seems like NFL teams really value second round picks. They don't give away second round picks that easily. And maybe they should be more willing to, right? We just talked about it, right? Like there's plenty of second round picks that don't pan out. There's plenty of second round picks that just become good, solid players, right? Wondell Robinson, as much as I like him, I don't think he's going to be a superstar. I think he's going to be a good, solid player. Maybe, like I said, maybe he's Hunter Renfro. Maybe he's in that world. But the NFL teams, because of the cost control, really value day two picks, especially round two picks, and especially top of the second round picks. How often do we do our recap shows the Friday night of the NFL draft? And there's a lot of movement, right, at the top of the second round because people basically are like, see those guys as round one talents that maybe from for their board, for their team, and, they, and they're surprised that they're still there, and then they make aggressive moves, right, in the top of that. That's basically what they just gave away. Now, maybe Pittsburgh was playing hardball. I just feel like it shouldn't have taken. When we look around and we see other trades happen in the NFL, this just the compensation just sees out of whack for a team that's in a rebuild. If it was a team like the Packers who have Aaron Rodgers and they were like, all right, let's give up our second round pick. We need a receiver. I would totally be like, it's a little overpaid, but I 100% get it. So I get the point I'm trying to make Justin Fields better, but this just seems like... The fact that it, it, the Baltimore pick couldn't get it done or their pick at the top of the third round and then maybe, say, a fifth rounder, I just don't see – I know, Tony, there's other, there's other issues, but it seems like the draft compensation is very out of whack. A third and a sixth for Tony and, an, and a late third and then an early, early two for Chase Claypool just seems like – it just seems like it's kind of off balance. And I think well, it's a little bit of an overpay there that I think he was more a third round worthy player, not a top of the second round player. Teleport us, teleport us back a year. And, you know, before, before last season, and we thought Claypool with his 11 touchdown season was on a rocket ship to the moon, you know, and, you know, Tony, you know, we have two electric games, but That's like, it. yep, you know, it, and a lot of injuries. Like, I, it's not that crazy for me that they had to spend more to get Chase Claypool. I, I, I'm with you, though. What The draft compensation was a little high. And, you know, I would have preferred them try to figure out some way um, to do what, you know, Minnesota and, and Detroit did. And, and we'll just, you know, get some pick swaps back, right? Yep. Like, get a couple maybe day three, but early day three picks. Right. And so let's just leave that in. So well, Jeff, before, before mm-hmm. we do that, one thing I will say skyrocket George Pickens dynasty value now, because now there's no other roadblock, right? He was already, he was already seeing significant work, but now there's no Claypool in the picture. Now it's Deontay Johnson and George Pickens. And now they will go as Kenny Pickett's growth goes, but now his value just is a rocket ship. Now, 
you know, now is not even the third guy there that was maybe going to hinder how quickly he became an integrated part of that offense in terms of every week. I think you're going to start seeing a lot more consistency uh, from George Pickens, who's a guy we talk about a lot, you know, in the rookie report. So I do think this does Claypool's value goes up for sure because he's going to be a much more uh, valuable asset in Chicago. But I also think left behind in Pittsburgh, I think George Pickens stock way, way up. I don't think I'll actually do that, mostly because Pickens had already been showing us what I th- what his potential was. You know, a couple hundred yard games. Like he was already playing most of the snaps, anyways. Um, you know, I think there's already other concerns there with Kenny Pickett and and that hmm. offense in general. But not surprising. So, so I don't actually know that we're going to see just this massive production outburst between. You know, it's not like Claypool was like like had a lot of production to divvy up, anyways. You know, so I think you know what what Pickens is, what 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 Pickens has been. You know, what Deontay has been for us, like that's that's probably what we're getting with them. Um, which is not to say that you know, like you shouldn't go buy George Pickens. Um, I just it's probably makes his cost and and sort of benefit analysis, you know, a little bit less of a gap than than what it previously was. Um, which was, a, you know, generally a bargain to buy. Um, let me let me get back into uh, Minnesota here, yep. with where they they I, this this says a lot. Irv Smith got hurt. Minnesota trades uh, a twenty twenty three second and a twenty four third for TJ Hawkinson, and they're getting back a twenty twenty three fourth and a twenty twenty four fourth. And I think one of those is conditional or. There's a little bit of, you know, stuff around the fringes there around those other picks. But, you know, Ur Smith immediately after this news went down onto IR. Um, this is them filling need. Um, I'm, I'm not really sure how to take this from a fantasy lens. I think this is, this is Minnesota going all in. They're leading their division. You know, they are second in the NFC in, in record, I guess, something like that. So they're in a good spot um, to put more pieces and weapons around. Um, but I'm not sure. Like, to me, this is Hawkinson down for, for fantasy purposes. Yeah, I mean, this was, the, this was one of the hardest for me to ask myself who I thought won the trade, right? We've talked about two trades. I think KC won the Tony one, hands down. I think Pittsburgh won the Claypool one, hands down. And then this one broke, and I was like, is it a good deal for Minnesota? Is it a good deal for Detroit, right? And like I had to kind of process it a little bit, and the way I kind of processed it, when, when push comes to shove, I look at it as Minnesota basically traded what they're hoping is a – Quasi late second round pick, right? They have a good record right now. Maybe they're on the path to winning 10, 11 games, you know, make the playoffs. So I think they're looking at it as taking a pick that's going to be somewhere in that 20 to to 26 range in round two, right? So we're talking 50, you know, 52 to 58 range. Let's say somewhere, let's say somewhere in that range, give or take. I think they look at it as they're trading what they hope is a latter second round pick for Hawkinson, and then obviously Detroit wanted that third back also, but they got two forts back for it. So two forts for a third is kind of 
uh, is kind of a fair deal as well. So, like, I kind of looked at it as a late second for Hawk and then two forts for third to kind of piece that together a little bit. So, my guess is this is Detroit saying they don't want, they don't think they're planning on investing in him in a second contract because I think, I think Hawkinson. He's gonna listen. Hayden Hurst got traded, if I remember correctly, for a late second round pick when he was traded from Baltimore to Atlanta. I think that was a late second, and he hadn't even done half. You know, he didn't have the draft capital of, of TJ Hawkinson. He he had hadn't the production of TJ Hawkinson. So I I think in that regards, a second round pick is is a good cost for Minnesota trying to piece it there. They don't really have a secondary weapon in the passing game behind Jefferson. Thielen's kind of getting up there. So I think Minnesota's looking at it as they look at, I think they're looking at Hawkinson as a long-term piece to kind of have him and Jefferson there. And in the short term, it fills a need. And I think Detroit maybe had seen a, had made a decision that they didn't view Hawkinson as a long-term piece. They want to build their offense maybe around Monroe St. Brown and hopefully a healthy Jamison Williams in time and DeAndre Swift. And they might look at it as we don't need to invest major, you know, uh, salary cap and, 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 you know, financial capital in Hawkinson for a second contract. And he's probably going to still demand maybe not, obviously not at the Andrews Kelsey type tier, but he would be in the next tier of, of tight end salaries. So, so that's my perspective that both of them are looking at it as one team looks at him as a part of the long-term future. The other one is not. And they found kind of a medium ground, I think, in terms of what his value is. In terms of dynasty, I think you're right. I don't think it's stock up for Hawkinson. If anything, it's stock neutral. I mean, I, I, maybe even a little bit of stock down the rest of this year as they uh, as they kind of, you know, try to integrate him into the offense a little bit. So I would say a little bit of stock down there. I think in Detroit, you know, it opens up more, maybe more pass catcher responsibilities to go out of the backfield to DeAndre Swift, especially with Jamal Williams running so good. So I can see more pass opportunity for DeAndre Swift. And I think it's one less guy who would filter targets on a more consistent basis away from the receivers. So when Jamison Williams gets caught up to speed, you know, I, I think now the offense is going to flow through Amon Ra, Jamison Williams, you know, and then Swift out of the backfield. So I think it's a little stock up for, for the guys kind of left behind in Detroit in terms of their star players that are already there. And I think Hawkinson, a little bit of stock neutral, maybe stock down for this year. But I don't think next year when he's fully integrated, it's any different than than where he was in Detroit. So that's kind of how I view that trade uh, from there. So why don't we keep this moving and take this right over to the next trade. Uh, the Colts traded Naheem Hines to Buffalo for Zach Moss and a 2023 conditional fifth round pick. Uh, we'll take the easy side for this right now. I think Zach Moss gets a chance to maybe even be a backup there. You know, I know Deion Jackson, uh, Deion Jackson, Deion Jackson had that one really good game uh, for the Colts, but you know, Jonathan Taylor has been battling a lot of injuries this year. Maybe Zach Moss gets a chance to be a backup there. So I don't really think it, it changes his value too much. I think there's more of a chance that he can be slightly relevant in Indianapolis than it was going to be in Buffalo who kind of, he got his chances there and it never panned out. I think Naheem Hines in Buffalo, I don't think, I think it actually hurts his fantasy value a little bit. I don't think, I think maybe he was going to get more looks in Indianapolis. So I don't think he's much more relevant fantasy wise, but I, but I do think the the big thing that comes out of this is the impact it has on uh, James Cook and 
they clearly don't believe in him right now. Now, Naheem Hines has two years left on his deal. So that's one of those things where it's not a lot of dead money if they move on. So they could still change their mind on James Cook. But I think for right now, it's a pretty significant stock down on James Cook and maybe what we thought their plan, especially me particularly who love James Cook, their plans were for him. I'm not ready to put the debt nail in, in James Cook because I still think he's too young of a player and Buffalo's in a win now mode. So they might just be looking at this as this year he gives them the best chance to get to the Super Bowl. Uh, but we'll have to kind of, you know, take the long-term view on this. Jeff, any thoughts on, on James Cook and Naheem Hines ended up in Buffalo and, and that's right. Yeah, I think with... um with James Cook, I'm I'm keeping a close eye on this one actually because he he actually looked pretty decent this last weekend. Um, you know, had some good plays, had some tough running. Uh, we know after the bye is sort of when rookies start to get integrated a little bit more, and it's kind of what we're seeing. I I feel like it's just as likely that we're going to see, you know, Buffalo integrate more James Cook um, than we are see Hines just come in and, and sort of wash him out of the picture. Uh, so maybe this is actually a pretty good buy window because it's not that I think, you know, I think James Cook has massive potential as a talent that um, Naheem Hines can, can kind of think about it like Antonio Gibson and JD McKissick in Washington, right? We saw Antonio Gibson still be a dynamic playmaking running back, you know, between Brian Robinson and JD McKissick. He, you know, he, he had a handful of carries for a handful of yards and he had, you know, another seven catches, a touchdown through the air, you know, some receiving yards there, you know, he made an impact on that game for Washington and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe Singletary's role is, is, you know, grinder and, and maybe kind of Heinz's role is still kind of that, that McKissick weapon. It, it could even just be um, as mu- as much as I hate to say it around Isaiah McKenzie, who hasn't just seized the opportunity that's been given to him. Um, you know, they've kind of been rotating him and Shakir, you know, this might just give them another option um, for that, that sort of slot outlet gadget, you know, change of pace type play um, that they've been getting out of those guys and, and really just kind of mixing and matching to their talents and skills. So I'm not giving up on James cook. Um, I don't think this does anything for the Indies backfield. You know, it was Jonathan Taylor or bust. Um, I, maybe Dion Jackson, you know, is, is a really good name to know. I think even though Ma- Moss is coming in, on the with this deal as well jackson has come in and stepped in and played well for taylor who's who's still dealing with an injury so that might just be a sneaky guy to you know kind of put on the back end of your roster and he might have a game or two again this year where he he pops um especially because he's played the nine game Hines role as well there too as as pass catcher so so that's that's maybe a you know it's really deep league stuff but that's the name to know um and then it gets really murky in Buffalo. It really does. You know, outside of Stefan Diggs and your occasional blow up games by Gabe Davis, it's really hard to decipher what you want out of there. Singletary's had phenomenal games and, and a great, great runner, but this takes away a path to massive upside, or at least it's another obstacle in the way of that. 
And so it's gotten murky enough that I don't think, I think this is going to be kind of like Kansas City wide receivers haven't, you know, lately they've been okay for fantasy, but at the start of the year, you know, it was just a hodgepodge where Kansas City was getting it done on offense, but no individuals were making massive differences on the stat sheets that, you know, you'd consider for fantasy wise. That's what we're going to see. I think you're going to see a lot of these players come in and make, you know, make a difference with their roles, but it's, it's going to be really hard to rely on any of them from like a stats perspective. Like they're all going to make a play or two here in a game. Some may make big ones. Some of those plays, you know, might happen together in the same game and, you know, big splash plays and, you know, all of a sudden they have like a phenomenal game, you know, and you're going to get some excitement there, but I think it's just going to rotate around and, and add depth to a Super Bowl run. Yeah, and I don't think they really care about a fifth-round pick. Zach Moss wasn't long for the team. So I think it's all about – the Naheem Mines move is all about this year. So I'm with you. I would still buy James Cook for the long haul, especially because I think he's going to come really cheap, especially in the offseason if he does nothing the rest of this year. I think I don't think this deters him from being a role down the line, but I think this year it completely squashes his value. But I think that's what Buffalo is right now. They're, they care about one thing, and that's win the Super Bowl this year. And then they're not going to worry about if they give up a fifth-round pick. If it helps them win a Super Bowl, they'll worry about James Cook down the line. So I think that's where their focus is. If we take this to the next one, uh, small trade but still relevant, and I'll kind of group these together. Uh Denver traded Bradley Chubb and a 2025 uh, fifth-round pick to Miami for 2023 first, which was from San Francisco, part of the Trey Lance trade, a 2024 fourth, and Chase Edmonds. So they kind of ship out Chase Edmonds in that deal to Denver as a part of the Bradley Chubb package, but then they turn around and they give a fifth-round pick to bring Jeff Wilson to Miami, and that's, you know, Mike McDaniel from San Francisco now has his Jeff Wilson, Raheem Mostert duo back together just in Miami and says San Francisco. Wilson was available because of the Christian McCaffrey trade. Uh, so I, I think for Jeff Wilson, I think him and, you know, Raheem Mostert are going to be a one-two committee, not hold a lot of fantasy value. Some weeks, somebody will spike. The other weeks, you know, not so much. Won't be very reliable week to week. I think they'll probably help them more for, real life than fantasy value. I don't think it has much long-term dynasty ramifications in this trade. Uh, clearly they weren't happy with Chase Edmonds, even though they gave him a two-year, $12 million contract. So they ship him out. Miami's in a window right now. They're going for it, right? They traded for Tyreek Kill. They traded for Bradley Chubb. You know, they, they're being very aggressive using their first round picks to bring proven stars to Miami. Uh, Jeff, any thoughts on, on the routing back shuffling Edmonds out there to Denver, I think he just plays a role this year with Melvin Gordon. And if Javante Williams is back next year, he's just a backup. Uh, but more importantly, Jeff Wilson to Miami to come to work with Raheem Mostert and form a committee there. Yeah. The, the beach version of, of San Francisco <laughs> down there. Right. So um, it, it kind of takes me back. You know, I hadn't really thought too much. I'd still been in on Mostert just because he's been everything that Mike, McDaniel really has wanted there, right? And and that's why they brought him in. And that's why Chase Edmonds was expendable. Was um Mostert Mostert has done everything that McDaniel wants. Um that being said, I think he knows he can rely on Jeff Wilson too. And it makes me think back to before Chase Edmonds was completely phased out. You know, he had a couple goal line packages 
little bit more on the receiving end. I think that's a that's an area of the game that Wilson doesn't get enough credit for. So I think we'll see it more like that 65-35 kind of split. I still think Mostert's really the guy for them. He brings that speed element. He's he's still that's what they value on that team. That's what they want. You know, speed across the field is is hard to defend when it, it's there at every position. And I think you're going to get that more with Mostert as, as long as he stays healthy. And this just kind of gives Miami maybe a more reliable name that Chase Edmonds just never fit what they wanted and that they know they're going to get out of Jeff Wilson. And, it, you know, I think this just kind of had that Chase Edmonds went away in this trade, but it wasn't about shipping away Chase Edmonds. It was more about bringing in Bradley Chubb, who injuries has sort of sapped him from his elite promise as a as a budding superstar. Um, but I think in a rotational edge um, in Miami, I, th- I think he can have impacts on games. You know, similar to how you know Von Miller has come in and had impacts on games in big moments, right? That's what they're hoping to get out of that. I think Chase Edmonds has a little bit of new life. I mean, I don't know what's going on in Denver. It's a mess. Melvin Gordon's still a good player. Um, Latavius Murray is the same Latavius Murray we've seen for the past two, three years, which is fine from an NFL perspective, but it's not. I don't know that it's really a positive in winning games. It's more of he's not a negative. Um, And I think, you know, we had Mike Boone hit IR, right? And so maybe what they're, I still think Melvin Gordon can be that pass catching role, but maybe they're, maybe they're really looking to just divvy that up, get Chase Edmonds in there, you know, as that, as that Mike Boone kind of replacement. Um, I think there's, there's nothing there that's scaring me on the death chart. So this, Chase Edmonds was on his way out in Miami, similar to, you know, like I said about Kadarius Tony. Sometimes when you, you read the writings on the wall and and it just wasn't working out and it wasn't going to work out, it wasn't going to magically work out in the future again with them. So this gives Chase Edmonds a little bit of like one last gasp um, of, of new life here. I think Miami might have just over oversold what they thought Chase Edmonds was. I, I think he is who he is. I think he's a space player. I think he's a third down back. Like, I think that's who he is. Like, they they gave him two years, $12 million, and most of that was guaranteed. Like, that's that's not money that you usually give to, like, a third down pass catching specialist. And I think that's his best role in the NFL. And anytime he's been asked to do much more than that, it, it really hasn't panned out. So I think he'll I think he'll work in there and be worked in the mix and – you know, he'll be he'll be a guy who plays a lot on third downs for the Broncos and catches passes out of backfield and runs a little bit. But like I, I think his best shot was because Miami had given him that deal, the best shot of him being like a consistent RB two would have been in Miami. And that quickly, quickly, quickly fizzled out. Uh, because I think Mike McDaniel just realized what he was and what he wasn't very quickly. So so my guess yeah. is he, he will be a guy that will have some now you're looking for that. Yeah, you're looking for that kind of Duke Johnson yes, season exactly. from, the, from a few times ago, right? Um I you know, on the San Francisco side of things, uh, this to me signals that um they're getting healthier at running back. I think we're gonna see Elijah Mitchell soon. Um, obviously bringing Christmas Christian McCaffrey in um, has 
you know, really made Wilson some, they were on the field together last week in packages and, and Wilson, you know, was getting the ball. Um, he was still integrated into their offense, but um, I think this is sort of when, once Mitchell's back, they're going to be making room, you know, for Mitchell in those, in those plays, in those spaces. And yeah. So and I'm sure do, you know, recoup a little bit of draft capital from, they still have, Ooh, I think seven, eight, nine picks. They're just all day three or later. Yeah. You know, a couple comp picks, I think in round three. Um, but you know, they've drafted well back there and, and this gives them just like a little bit of more ammunition to go target the guys that they want to go target. And does Jeff, Jeff Wilson, a solid favor, you know, gets them in a place that he can succeed. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe greases the wheels for, for future player movement between, Miami and San Francisco with, with the coaching staff there. Yeah. And I mean, if Elijah Mitchell's on the way back and they did invest a third round pick in Tyrion Davis price. So like they have other, they have other backs, you know, there to fill out the depth chart who are talented, you know, Elijah Mitchell, we know is talented and, and Tyrion Davis price has some, some round redraft capital. They obviously liked them last year, uh, you know, to go with obviously Christian McCaffrey now, who's now like we talked about last week, you know, locked in there, I think for at least two, if not three years. And then I'll say every, every guy that we've talked about so far, I think there were some inclination that they could be on the move, right? Even TJ Hawkinson, there were some whispers that they were maybe fielding offers. We knew Tony being moved wasn't a stunner. Claypool we knew was readily available. Uh, not stunning to see Bradley Chubb. We had heard Chase Edmonds, not surprising. He had kind of fallen down the depth chart. I think the most stunning trade of the day was the last one we're going to talk about, and that is Atlanta trading Calvin Ridley to Jacksonville. Now, Calvin Ridley, for people, you know, I'm sure most everyone knows, last year he left the team, you know, citing some mental issues that he was having, uh, that he was dealing with, and then the weird gambling thing where he bet like $100 or $1,000, whatever, some some very small amount for an NFL player. Uh, on Atlanta to win a game that he wasn't playing in, and they they slapped him with a full year suspension. So he's been out of sight, out of mind. Apparently, the Eagles were very close to trading for him in the offseason right before the suspension happened, or he would have been an Eagle right now, and A.J. Brown either would have been in Tennessee or not. So it's it's funny how one thing dramatically shifts so much. But they trade him to Jacksonville for it's, – it's very complicated. It's a fifth-round pick this year provided the suspension is lifted at some point, which I don't know why it wouldn't, if not, it's a sixth round pick. But then the real condition is the following year, it starts out as a 2024 conditional fourth that becomes a three if he plays a certain amount of snaps or games or some playing time, you know, uh, part of it. And then if they agree, agree on a long-term contract extension, it becomes a 2024 second round pick. So there's a lot of layers here. Uh, we knew Calvin really probably had played his last down with Atlanta. I think Atlanta did pretty good for themselves here, considering they didn't have a tremendous amount of leverage. I don't, I didn't see a scenario where he was going to come back and play for that organization. So they get him, you know, they, they ship him out for a fifth and potentially, Jacksonville may envision him being a part of the long-term future and having him and Christian Kirk as their wide receiver duo to try to help out Trevor Lawrence. So they probably are going to look to sign him 
once he's integrated there, you know, during next season. And if that happens, it turns into a second round pick. And if not, at least probably a third round pick if he plays. So, uh, you know, a five and a three or a five and a two, I think Atlanta did pretty good for themselves considering he didn't play the second half of last year and then was suspended this whole year. Uh, I think for Jacksonville, I like it. I love Calvin Ridley, the player. So if he can get back to being who he was, I, I think it adds a really nice weapon there for them. And and they've had plenty of good draft picks. And, you know, they're they're looking to get guys who could impact right now. They don't want to be rebuilding anymore. So they're looking at getting Calvin Ridley only cost him a fifth in this year's draft cycle. And then if he's the player who they think he is, it'll cost him a day two pick you know, down the line, but I think they're willing, they're willing to bite that bullet. So yeah, thoughts on Calvin Ridley Ridley is Calvin Ridley. Then you definitely bite that bullet. Right. I mean, you were just talking about Kadarius Tony's upside, you know, and, and how even a second for Claypool, while rich, like if you know what you're getting, it makes sense. If you know what you're getting in Calvin Ridley, which, you know, I mean, last time he was playing, he was phenomenal. I, these things can go a lot of different ways. Like, you know, I remember, you know, like my first IDB draft, drafting Telvin Smith that, you know, all of a sudden just kind of, you know, disappeared. And um, sometimes he's, you know, the Antonio Brown thing, right? Like sometimes these situations, when there's stuff going on outside the field, it, it can be pretty dicey. And, you know, Jacksonville's protected itself with, you know, with those those conditions. Um, Atlanta... Like, hey, hey, I mean, Arthur Smith isn't going anywhere. And if he's not going to throw the ball more than 20 times a game, why do you need Calvin Ridley and Drake London and Kyle Pitts, right? Like, this is great for Ridley, if if you ask me. I mean, this is a home that wants him in an offense with Doug Peterson that's going to use him uh, with a quarterback that we don't have to worry about, right? Like, you know, I, I think the jury's still out on what if Trevor Lawrence is going to be good, but I think we're, we at least know Trevor Lawrence is going to be a competent NFL quarterback and he has the traits to be good to great. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is kind of one of those, you know, did all parties well type of deal. Um, and, you know, it's it's sad. He's, he's on a couple of my rosters, but Calvin Ridley is sort of just that forgotten phenomenal talent. Um He's already kind of he's already kind of getting a little bit old up there, right? I think he's twenty seven now. Yeah, he's he's going to be twenty eight next year. I think when he's playing, you know, that's already, you know, that's that's generally already second contract status. But um, I think Ridley's still like on his rookie deal, and there's like a fifth year to deal with, and um, his his contract year doesn't toll because he's suspended for the full year. So there's there's some weird contract stuff going on there, but he might not even be on his second contract till he's thirty, um, which is a little bit you know odd to say too. Um, but yeah, I mean it, it was a shocker, but when we take it in context of this off season, not an incredible surprise that he's getting moved. I think the location is maybe a bit of a surprise, but they needed help there, right? Um, they're not going anywhere this year. Um, they shipped away James Robinson. So, so yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I like this deal all around, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't scratch a ton of heads. Like, you know, I think if we're, this gives me something excited to be excited about for the 2023 season. 
Yeah, I, I think the surprise for me wasn't that he was traded. It was that it didn't happen in the offseason. I thought we would be having this conversation in March for sure, right? I figured the suspension would be lifted after the season ended. The the free agent cycle would start and, and we would see Calvin Ridley move prior to the 2020 NFL draft. I think the surprise was it happened during the year. But you just kind of said it's with a team that is really knows they're not in it for this year. So they're probably like, let's get ahead of this now if we – other teams who are contending right now aren't going to be in the process of buying Calvin Ridley right now, right? They're trying to add pieces who could help them this year. So let's go be proactive and let's try to get them now before you have 15 teams trying to get them. I, I, I know yeah, I had had a conversation with friends of mine that I thought maybe he could have been a target for the Giants and Joe Shane. Brian Dable had a relationship with him in Alabama. So, you know, we had heard a little bit about that relationship with Jerry Judy, who didn't get moved, but that was only for one year. I'm pretty sure there was overlap with Dable and Calvin Ridley there. So I thought that might have been like if they knew if he knew the person. Right. Like, obviously, that was the thing with Tony. Right. They didn't really know who he was. But if Dable kind of knew who Ridley was, I thought that might have been an option for the Giants in the offseason. But Jacksonville kind of struck. So I, I give Jacksonville credit for kind of beating other teams to the punch who maybe weren't thinking about Calvin Ridley until the offseason. And I think Atlanta did as good as they could have done, whether it's a five and a three down the line or a five and a two. Uh, I, I think they probably, it probably, I don't think a team would have ponied up without significant conditions in the off season. So I think they probably did as well as, as, as they could. And they're in a long rebuild too. So even though that higher pick, it won't probably come to them until 2024. I think that's okay in Atlanta, right? They're, they're in a, they're in year one, you know, basically, you know, technically year two with Arthur Smith, but you know, they're still a couple years away. They still got to figure out the quarterback position. Uh, so I think it makes some sense for them if they don't feel like they is a quarterback in this draft. Well, now they have a little bit more ammo for another year down the line to kind of play itself out. So there it is, guys. All the big trades in the offensive side of the perspective. Obviously, Roquan Smith was dealt. There were some other small deals. But we kind of hit upon all the deals that dealt with the offensive skill players, talked about their new landing spots, dynasty value, uh, how it impacted the people you know that were left behind and, and where they're going. I know we didn't get into it with Calvin Ridley, but it's so hard to really know when Calvin Ridley gets there next year. I, I think for him, it, it, it could be the same value as, as he was when he was playing last year. I don't think it really changes. He's a great player. Uh, I think he'll be good wherever he is. The quarterback theoretically could be an upgrade in Jacksonville compared to what's currently in Atlanta, but he was probably was never going to play in Atlanta. So it's hard to really judge that really does make for an interesting dynasty buy if people are just playing for this year and he's way down on people's rankings, right? Because you're not getting anything out of him. But now this year's halfway over. If you know you're not in it anymore, you could kind of take the same approach the Jaguars are taking and, and maybe see if, you know, see if the guy who has him maybe is playing for this year and maybe you could send something over there and try to get him on your dynasty team now. It might not be. Uh, might be the prudent approach to kind of take the Jaguars approach there. So, Jeff, any final parting thoughts before I close out? No, I think um, we've had a nice whirlwind. We've had the Halloween. You know, I, you know, I've got the solo parent duty this week too, um, so I'm already pretty exhausted. Um, you know, I think I think we'll come back to it next week, and we'll have a couple weeks of college under our belt. We'll be able to. It's been a couple weeks since we've talked to Anthony Richardson. I'm, I'm back. I'm back ready to, to put him on the topic of conversation again. You know, let's, you know, let's kind of see how um, this next, next weekend goes, you know, big Tennessee game. So, you know, we'll, we'll get back into the college swing of things next week.
Absolutely. Um, but in the meantime, going to recover a little bit. Absolutely. And also, it's time It's time for us to have some serious conversation about Jalen Hyatt and what he's doing there. This wire receiving corpse we've talked about is kind of up for grabs. And maybe a guy like Hyatt and what he's doing this year can catapult himself right into the mix as being one of the top wide receivers in this class. It's not like we haven't seen guys do that. Kadarius Tony, who we talked about tonight, right? No, he was on nobody's list his senior, his final year in college, and then he catapulted himself, you know, into the first round. So Hyatt might be might be having one of those types of years uh, and throw his name right into the mix near the top of the wide receiver class. So he's a guy we got to start. Talking a little bit about more for sure. We'll pick up with the college stuff and the draft stuff on next week's episode. So on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday. <laughs>